we reign in life. That's how Paul expresses it in Romans. We reign. We have went from a position of enslavement to a position of ruling. We've went from being governed to governing. In what respect? Let us look here at the word this morning. So in Romans 5, I have dealt with various things here. I went through it verse by verse, particularly in verses 12 through verse 21. And I went through this because I wanted to just explain the verses and give a sense of them. And then there was a sub, uh, I don't know, a a branch message off of that where I, I did a message on the two Adams the first and the last Adam. And I did a comparison out of the passage where Paul makes a comparison in that of the first Adam or a contrast, if you will, uh, between the first and the last Adam and also using a verse out of 1 Corinthians 15. And then today I want to go back emphasizing now, note a couple of verses, if you will, in verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned. Nevertheless, death reigned. Verse 17, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Death reigned. Two times he says that death reigned. And he says, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign. In life, by one, Jesus Christ. And then he says again, verse 21, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So would you say amen to God's word? You may be seated here this morning. So it is mentioned in this verse of scripture. Twice it is mentioned that in, as a result of Adam, as a result of sin coming into the world, that death reigned. Death reigned. Twice the apostle Paul will mention that. One time, in connection with that, in verse 21, he will say that sin reigned. Sin reigned unto death. Death reigned because of sin. Sin reigned and produced death. And then he talks about another, or the other side of the fence, if I can say it that way, when we are converted to Jesus Christ, that by Jesus Christ, that we those who convert to the Lord, that they begin to reign. They reign in life. And then he talks about in verse 21 that grace reigns. Now, we're going to talk about this reigning and, uh, and, and put that together this morning and then tie it with the verse in Ephesians chapter 2 that says that we have been raised up to made to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. The idea of Christ sitting in heavenly places is the idea of Christ reigning. When Christ died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of God, and now he reigns. He said to his apostles, I have been given all power in heaven and earth and and, and things under the earth, it all belongs to him. Everything is under his authority. He sits at the right hand of God. Christ reigns as Lord of all. But now we sit together with him. That means that we reign. By sitting together with Christ, we then reign with him presently. There is a future reigning that will take place in the scripture uh, when Christ comes to in, in history, or I should say in the future, when Christ returns to the earth, he talks about saints will reign with him. He says if we suffer with him, first Tim, or Second Timothy speaks about it, chapter 2, I think it is. Uh, the King James there says suffer. The word literally, however, means to endure. If we endure with him, then we shall also reign with him. That is, if we follow through to the end, 
Him, if we endure the suffering, if we endure the difficulty, if we endure the things that are going on, He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. So that if we endure with Christ and persevere in our faith, then we will reign with Him. But that is future. We don't have that right now. We're not in the millennium reign, millennial reign. We're living in a time of sin and sickness and sorrow and death. But now, presently, we sit with Jesus Christ and we reign right now in life, the Bible says. Now, what does that mean? Before we can get to that, let's talk about this first reigning of death and sin and deal with what that says in the Holy Scripture. So he mentions twice, verse 12 and verse 14, he says that death has reigned. Verse 12, I'm sorry, yes, he mentioned verse 14 rather, uh, that uh, death reigns. In verse 17, he talks about that death has reigned. All this has come to humanity as a result of sin. And it's began with Adam. He is the initiator of this into this world. Death came. Now this idea, of course, in the passage of death reigning is particularly uh, emphasizing physical death. That's the emphasis when he talks about uh, sin came and man died. And the idea there is that physical death will come to him. He will die. But there is there's more involved in that. That's the, that's the general gist of this passage. But, but physical death comes as a result of something. It's not just that I die and it's all over or it's not just that, hey, I die big. What's the big deal? Well, why are you dying? Why is death coming? Why are men leaving this planet, if you will, and their bodies staying here? Why is this uh, a, a process going on uh, of death? If you, uh, As the Bible indicates, I shared in the Bible school on, on one of the days where it said that that in the in the uh, uh, Hebrew in Genesis chapter one or two, he talks about that the day you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. The Hebrew there is the word death repeated twice. It just has the word death repeated twice. The literal translation is in dying, you shall die. That death uh, will be an experience uh, that will ultimate in a, in a, in a, or a culminate rather in an ultimate experience of death. Uh, that death will be in some sense a process and the process will culminate in the ultimate experience and that experience of course is going to take you from this world take you from your loved ones take you from your pleasures here take you from whatever your experience was in this life and it's going to take you to a place called death in death you are going to die in in, uh, in Revelation chapter 1 Jesus doesn't just say he had the keys of hell but the keys of death and hell hell was merely a place. The Greek word was Hades. He has the keys of death and Hades. Hades is just a place. But the identifying factor, the description of that place, when you looked at it, what is the description? How would you describe this place called hell? It is death. That's what it is. It is death. It is the very culmination of sin. Dying. In dying, you shall die. The Bible said that Adam sinned. Death came as a result of that. He was separated from the tree of life. A, a process of death is going to begin, but death passed upon all men. It became the experience of all men because all men sinned. And so that there became this perpetuation of sin and death, a vicious cycle, if you will. Sin and death became a universal experience in the world. It's an interesting, I, I say interesting thing, but it uh, became, came uh, in some sense a very terrible fact, uh, if you will, that death came. And, and, and it came to young and it came to old. It came to rich and it came to poor. It didn't matter what your social status was. It didn't matter what your economic status was. It didn't matter what your age was. It didn't matter what your intellectual status was. It didn't matter what your family status was. It didn't matter whether you were the king's son or the peasant's son. It didn't matter whether you're in the house of Pharaoh or in the house of a slave. Didn't make any difference. How much money you had couldn't change a thing. How much education you had didn't change a thing. None of that. You were taken, overtaken by this thing called death. It destroyed, it took down kingdoms. It took down families. It took down dreams. It dashed the hopes. It changed plans. It charted a new course. It would change the course of history. It would change the course of kingdoms. 
kingdoms. It would change the course of businesses. It would change the course of everything in this world. Man was not able to conquer it. Everyone would be captured by this enemy called death and nobody could overcome it. Now it produced several things. In other words, it's raining. It's raining. Nobody prior to Jesus could overcome death. There are two fellows who will probably be the same two that die. Mentioned in Revelation, I believe, chapter 11, Enoch and Elijah that may have escaped it for a period of time, but appears they're going to die probably then. You don't escape it. Your weakness, your strength won't matter. Sometimes I've seen folks, I've looked at some people that looked to me like they had one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel. Six years later, you look at them, they still got one foot in the grave and one on a banana peel. And I'm thinking, how's that dude hang on? How many times have folks made some plans? Well, I'll inherit this when so-and-so dies. And they're very sick. They'll soon die. Yeah. And 10 years later, they're still singing that song. I'm going to inherit this when so-and-so dies. And they're still sickly. They've been sitting in a coma for 15 years or something. You know what I mean? They're hanging on. And then I've seen some folks who look like the very portrait of health. They walk out. They work out every week at the gym. Their hearts beat fine. They look like it's great to walk out their door and fall over dead. I've seen some folks that get in a, get in a car wreck. And you look at the car and say, well, man, I, I tell you what, I backed into a I backed into the bumper of another car and did more damage of that. And how did they die in that wreck? And they died. One little bump. And here it is that they're gone. Then I've looked at some cars that look like they've been run through a car crusher. And they come out and hardly had a scratch on them. My, oh my. How did that happen? They didn't cheat death. There's just an ultimate one who will dictate it. But my point is this. At some point it gets you. At some point it lays hold of you. I don't care what dreams you have. I don't care what future plans you make. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how much you fight it. I don't care what medicine. I don't care how long you look for the fountain of life. Death is going to overtake you. It rained. Became the fear of men. In this reign of death are going to be created some things. Some negatives are going to result. The Bible talks about, first of all, a shadow comes as a result of it. He talks about the shadow of death. Let me read to you some things, if I will. Job chapter 10 and verse 20 through 22. Are not my days few? Cease then and let me alone, that I may take comfort a little before I go whence I shall not return, even to the land of darkness and the shadow of death. A land of darkness is darkness itself and of the shadow of death without any order where the light is as darkness. The famed 23rd Psalm reads in verse 4, Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou go. And he talks about in Isaiah 38 and 18, For the grave cannot praise thee, death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. There's this idea that death brings a darkness. It brings a shadow. There were things unknown about it. It brings a shadow in a couple of ways. Number one, it brings a shadow in the sense of just this kind of gloominess. You know, when what is a shadow? A shadow is created when there is some object that that stands in the light and that object is impenetrable by the light. It blocks the light and so the light shines around it and creates a shadow. 
And if you get in that shadow, there's a darkness that is there. There's a gloominess, if you will. And now, so here it is. Uh, this death uh, has come into the experience of mankind. Uh, it has blocked the light of God. Uh, and now it's created a shadow. Light uh, has been unable to penetrate this death. Uh, and there in the shadow, men will live. Uh, and there is this idea that, that of a gloominess, as the psalmist said, and walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It was reminiscent of the sheep that were being led to the high ground, to the table land. And as they would be led to the table land, they would be led through valleys. But in the shadows of the valley would be lurking wolves and foxes. And they would be lurking in the shadow. And it would be the shadow of death because all around them there was danger. All around them there was death that was waiting to take them, to pounce upon them, to separate them from the flock uh, and to destroy them and bring a tragedy uh, and take away the possession of the shepherd. Uh, and so the sheep can get very nervous uh, when those are lurking in the shadows. What's in the darkness? You hear the growl. You hear the howl of the coyote. You hear the howl of the wolf. Uh, and you say, what's in the shadows? It's like that for us. Uh, Many times uh, at death has created a, a shadow and that when it draws near, there's a darkness about it. Uh, there's a gloominess about it. Uh, there's a foreboding about it. Uh, and you think, my, oh my, this is a dark thing. It's a dark thing that brings to man a fear and a gloominess uh, that, that man living under that shadow, he doesn't want to approach it. He tries everything to do to stay away from it. He tries to escape it. And when he comes down to the end of his days and he He's approaching it. If he doesn't know Jesus, I'm telling you, it is nothing but darkness. I need you to think about death for a moment without Christ. It's hard for us to do that because we know Jesus. But I want you to think about it. And we live in a world that's been so influenced by Christianity and, and the resurrection. We're getting ready in a week to celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And, and, and to us, we have a different perspective. But I want you to know that's all post-Calvary. That's all post-Jesus. I want you to look at pre-incarnation and a time when men were living under that gloom and that shadow. What happens when you go to the grave? Where do you go when you die? What's going on down there? And as I said in Ecclesiastes, he said, all oh, the dead can't praise you. No one is going to glorify God there. When you go there, your voice is silenced. When you go there, it's a place of darkness. Job was lamenting. I'm going to that dark place. I'm going to that pit. I'm going to that home. He said where there's darkness and gloominess. What awaits a man there? What happens beyond that experience called death? It created a shadow. Oh, I'm glad Jesus took it away. But it was there before he came. Secondly, there's a sorrow associated with it. Psalm 18 and 4 said, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Again, in 116 and 3, he said, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold on me. I found trouble and sorrow. Oh, the sorrow that has come along with death. Oh, there's seen folks that have had their dreams laid out in front of them. We've seen men in the prime of their youth, the prime of their life, I should say. And they have got a wife, a young wife. They're in their full vigor and strength. The wife is pregnant with a child child and they've got the farm everything looks glorious they're looking forward to years of fruitfulness the pitter patter of little feet going running around the house the joy the wonderful joys of marriage of a wonderful union between a man and a woman of having and dealing with the challenges of life raising the children in the farm and just having a time together where they encourage one another and live with one another and enjoy the company and all of a sudden there's an accident uh, and the young man's life is taken uh, and now there's a widow dressed in black uh, and now there are little children uh, who have no daddy. How do you get a hold of something like that? Uh, oh, how do you smile in the presence of such sorrow when the sorrows of death come past you? A man has got his dreams. Uh, he's made his plans uh, and all of a sudden now uh, he's went from the strength of life uh, to a wheelchair and death has set in uh, and he's 
struggling. Now I cannot work. Now I cannot do. And the darkness and the sorrow and the depression begin to fall upon a man. How many times it doesn't matter whether you're old or young. There's only one reason you can rejoice at a death and that's because somebody knew Jesus. But if there was no Jesus, there's no rejoicing. You look back in the Old Testament and look at times when Moses died. An entire month they will mourn his passing. I'm talking about 30 days. 30 days of mourning. 30 days of gloom. 30 days of darkness upon the country because of the sorrow of losing this great man because they cannot feel the void. They cannot feel the loss. This is a terrible thing and we grieve for the passing of the man of God. Now we can rejoice because of the resurrection but I'm telling you death has brought sorrow to life. Thirdly, the Bible indicates there's a sting to death. In Job 34 and 22, he said, There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Death does not become a hiding place for the wicked. It doesn't become some covert place where they can hide and renew their plans perpetuate their evil. Amos 9, verse 2 through 3, he said, Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. In Isaiah 28, verse 14 through 18, he said, Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because you have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with hell we are at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet, and the hell shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place, and your covenant with death shall be disannulled and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he said, So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, Oh, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting. Oh grave where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And then if Jesus or the Messiah in a messianic passage we read this I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth my flesh also shall rest in hope for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell neither will thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore what is the sting of death I will tell you as he said in dying you shall die as you go through the process and you arrive at that place when your spirit and soul leave your body. I've watched people sometimes that look at a sinner who has got cancer and it's racked his body. It's taken him down. The alcohol has caused cirrhosis of the liver. His kidneys are gone. His liver is not functioning. He's got hoses running out every side of his body. He is in pain. He is struggling and finally he breathes the last breath and folks look around 
around and say, oh, well, now he's at rest. Let me tell you something. If sin was in his life, he never went to rest. No, sir. I want you to know he went from the sorrow here to the sting there. Death bit him. It stung him. No, sir, that sin will bite you and it'll take you further down. Death is not a release for the wicked. It is a carrying to them to a place of greater pain, of greater sorrow, of greater horror. It is only Jesus said of him, he laid down, death took him, put him down in the, in the grave and he went to the heart of the earth. But he, when he, before he died, he made this statement. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Oh, several hundred years before the psalmist had written of him, thou will not leave my soul in hell. I put my spirit and soul into the hands of Father. I'm going down to Hades. I'm going to the place of the grave. I'm going to the place where sin is taking everybody else. But can I tell you something? Oh, there was no sin in him. You got no right to sting him. You got no right to take him. You cannot sting him. And God says, no, no. No, 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 you can't touch him. And he lifted him out and resurrected him and raised him up. The sting of death is gone when a man lives in Jesus Christ. The sting is gone. The fourth thing that death has brought, it's raining. It's still raining. You with me? Death is reigning. It's brought a shadow. It's brought sorrow. It's brought with it a sting to take men further down so that the sinner gets no release in death. He gets only further misery and pain. The fourth thing it produces, which come with it, is a space. What do I mean by a space? When you come into this world, you enter into this world in innocence. You're naive. But sin in bringing death does not just bring death to the body. Sin kills everything it touches. Sin kills family relationships. Sin kills purity. Sin kills innocence. Sin kills that naive, precious pure little mind that doesn't understand all of the innuendos and insinuations and the things. Be careful if I can say a little something here, parents. Be careful. I want to say to you, be careful because I know you look at things and we as adults have come to realize many things that are found in the world that sometimes there's, there's, there's evil in this world. Buddy, it's hard to find anything you hadn't been touched by. You can find it probably somewhere behind a teddy bear. Someone said, well, that's just an idol. And parents get so crazy over it sometimes. And that's nothing but witches and warlocks. And, and you got to be careful of this. Be careful. Because your children don't understand all that. They have no concept of those things. Sometimes they even live in an imaginary world. There's times you have to teach them. But you cannot take from a child all imagination, all right? Oh, your child's playing with a teddy bear and talking with this teddy bear and talking to him and you, oh, that's not really real, child. You can't do that. That's not really real. That's just fake. You better be careful about doing that. They don't understand that. Don't you try to plunge their mind into a world that they cannot grasp. Don't try to plunge their mind into concepts. You may understand it. You may know it. And you can guard them from something that can be really destructive. But you will have to wait for some time and maturity. Those children will have a make-believe world sometimes. And to them it's real. You don't have to destroy all that. They'll get beyond it. They'll get to a place because in that make-believe world they're still doing things. They're taking the principles of life 
and they're putting them into practice in their make-believe world. Uh, that little imaginary friend. Uh, you know, oh, that makes you a liar. That's because, no, it's not. Uh, it's because that's all their mind can grasp. Uh, they don't have anything beyond that. Uh, and you be careful that you don't plunge it something uh, into something that it doesn't need to be in uh, and open up all our teaching about witches and warlocks. Uh, and they don't even know what a witch and warlock is. You worry about teaching them about Jesus uh, before you worry so much about that devil. And we get to the place and we, our kids come out and they're afraid to touch something almost. Let me tell you something. Evil's tainted this world, bud. You ain't going to find a business that hadn't been touched by it. You ain't going to find a corporation that hadn't been touched by it. You're not going to find a store you can go to at somewhere sin's not for sale in that store. In some form or another. Selfishness has touched our culture. We got to live in and stay pure. Oh, glory in the sanctifying power of Jesus Christ. And we as adults have got to know where we can and cannot go. We got to know what we do and do not teach. But at the same time, we are not going to spoil the joys and innocence of childhood because of our adult mind that is caught up with all the wicked ways in which our world has been tainted. Oh, for a little while, let them enjoy a world that's pure. For a little while, let them enjoy a world that haven't been touched by sin. In their world, there's no wickedness. In their world, there's no witches. In their world, there's nothing evil. Let them enjoy it for the glory of God because the day will come when sin will become a reality and they will experience it and they will then know the presence of evil. What sin and death has done is that it has given the devil a vantage point from which to ply his trade. Notice something. Adam and Eve in the garden were tempted by the serpent, but behind the serpent was a personality called Satan, a being, a real being called the devil who used the serpent. But notice something. When Adam and Eve adhered to the suggestion of the devil and sinned against God, was cast out of the garden, the Bible tells us that from there, death and sin begin to reign, not Satan. Now, Satan will reign, but it didn't say Satan reigned in the earth. It says death and sin reigned in the earth. Hello? Now what sense did Satan reign? Let's read a few verses of scripture. In this darkness, things begin to happen. Psalm 82 and 5, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. You see, in this darkness, in this system that the men and women have bought into in the devil's system, things don't go too well. Foundations upon which a society should be built are now being destroyed. That's what we're doing in our culture right now. Our country is out of course. Our foundations are being destroyed. We are like a train that has veered off the tracks and is fixing to crash on the rocks, fixing to crash in the, in the crevasse, fixing to crash in the great canyon that's coming up. We are careening out of control. Why is that happening? Is that simply because a man disobeyed God? It is, yes, because a man disobeyed God, but when he disobeyed God. He opened up the door for another mentor. He opened up the door for another teacher. He opened up the door for another influencer. He opened up the door for one to come through and say, let me show you how to live your life. Let me show you how to govern. Let self govern. Oh, let self be your government. Let self be your glory. Let self be your guide. And as a result, we tear down the foundations that God has made. We tear down the laws that God has made. We establish our own laws but it makes us fall out of course and brings us to destruction. The way of the wicked, Proverbs 4, 19, is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. 
2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, shall shine unto them. Boy, he says again in 1 John 2 through 11, But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Again in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, but he that hateth this, I'm sorry, but he, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So he said there became an association. You now begin to live according to the prince of the power of the air. The devil got his foot in the door and he took every bit of territory he could take. He began to influence minds. He began to influence the wicked. He began to blind the minds. A man that chooses not to believe Christ is not going to walk away and say it's over. You're not going to walk away and say, oh, well, I choose Christ. I don't have to have Christ and there's no effect in my life. No, sir. Whenever you reject Christ, you reject truth. Whenever you reject truth, you open your mind up to the deceiver and he's going to blind your mind. He's going to blind you so that you begin to do things that are absolutely idiotic. They make no sense at all. That's what happens when you reject truth. You endorse the lie. Read about it in Romans chapter 1. They suppressed the truth in their mind. Then they got to the place where they loved unrighteousness. They actually took it when they knew they were worthy of death. They still exalted themselves. Is there anybody, is there anybody today can look and see and understand? Is there anybody today that is not utterly astounded at the nonsense, the hypocrisy, and the contradiction that's coming out of Capitol Hill, the White House? What lies? That's not because I'm the right or that or the left. I'm not right or left. I'm biblical. I'm not conservative or liberal. I'm biblical. But the utter absurdities, the only freedom of speech they believe in is their speech. Are you under a delusion to think that if it was the liberal Senators that were getting shut down on Twitter, if it was the voices of the radical left that was getting shut down, that they would begin to cry foul. But if the voice of someone who wants to stand up for something's right or just contradict them, their voice is getting shut down. Where's the liberty in that? Where's the sense of it all? The idea of gun control. Because we got a man who goes into a store in Colorado. In Boulder, Colorado and shoots and kills 10 people. There's the cry, we've got to ban assault weapons. It's my understanding. It's my understanding. That in Boulder, Colorado, assault weapons were already banned. In the very city where the crime was committed, I read, if I understood right, that there's already a ban there. There was already a ban there on magazines. Do you think that laws stop criminals? Do you think that you can pass a law and stop a crime? Then you, my friend, have lost your marbles. You've lost your moral mooring. You've lost your sense. You've got nothing. Where does that come from? How can men stand? How can they fight? How can they pour their money into such causes that are so idiotic and so destructive, so nonsensical, so contradictory? How can they do that? I'll tell you why. Their minds have been blinded by the God of this world, the God of this world has pulled the darkness and they know not where they go. They know not what they do. They know not what they say. They are living under the dominion and power of the prince of this world. 
with that Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So death opened up this door, and this verse declares that the devil had the power of death. Now what power was that? The power of death is not the power to take lives. That resides in Jesus. The keys are his. The keys are his. This is not an authority of death. He doesn't become an authority where he can make death come in his will. Yes, thank God, because we'd be toast. He'd take us out, but he can't. <laughs> Glory to the Lamb of God. I know we shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. He said, I give you power over all. The power of the enemy. Hallelujah. No, he has not the power to take life or give life. But the power of death is the idea of a dominion of death. And so there became, that essentially develops a region. When men live in this darkness, when they live in their sin, when they live separated from God, in that kind of a circumstance, the devil can ply his trade. He can sell his wares. He can deceive. He can bring lies to them. Because when you've shut out the light of God's word, buddy, he's got a playground. When you shut out the light of God's word, he's got an open road into your life to sell you ideas that absolutely make no sense, but you'll buy them. You'll buy them because you have shut out the only light that can save you and you'll give yourself to them. But it's in that darkness now and that will create a fear and and then we can become afraid of the death. What's going on? What happens? All of this is taking place. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know all of that. And they try to escape it. But you cannot. It's going to take you. Oh, yes. When men look death in the face. Oh, because of the sin that abounded. And the, and the workings of the devil. And the lies that have been told. They don't know where they're going. And fear can grip that heart. It's only because Jesus tasted death for every man that we can know I need not fear it I need not worry because he lives I live also hallelujah death reigned it brought a shadow it brought sorrow there was a sting and it gave space for the devil to bring his lies and then he said sin reigned what do you mean sin reigned? Sin reigned in that once man sinned, he didn't get a pet pig. Oh. That he could just pull around on a leash, enjoy it at will. No. He got a terrible taskmaster. Sin reigned first in the heart. It'll reign in the heart. It'll grip him there. And he becomes supremely selfish. You can say what you want to. Sometimes selfish people do some unselfish things. But buddy, somewhere or another that selfishness shows up. Get him in the hot box and you'll find it. Get them in the pressure, whether it's you or in the box, when it's you or them. Guess who's coming out on top? Uh huh. Get it down to where someone's got to yield the floor. They're going to make you yield the floor, all right? If they can, if they have the power to, self will rear its head. It becomes something about this business of sin. It rained, the Bible said. It could not be controlled, it could not be harnessed. The man never made a slave out of sin. Sin made a slave out of the man. You understand that? 
You don't tug sin around on a leash. Put it in a box when you want to put it in a box. Bring it out of the cage when you want to play with it. Lock it back in the cage when you're done with it. No, sir. You bring it out of the cage. You'll be in the cage and sin will be around you. You'll be the one that's bound. You take the drink enough. You take the drugs enough and before you know it, you'll be in the cage. It'll get that selfishness will get a hold of you. It'll be you esteem self and before you know it, self has become an animal that cannot be controlled. Listen to me. Even the devil cannot control sin. We've said it before, but let's say it right here for this message. How many times in history have we seen it? We're coming to crucifixion. It's Passover. The devil is well aware of God's program. The last thing he wants is Jesus to die at Passover. He doesn't really at this point care now. He's tried to kill him in the garden. That didn't succeed. But he doesn't really care. Now, if he dies on the cross, that's not so much a problem as long as it's not at Passover. Because then the typology of the Old Testament will fail and he will not be the sacrificial lamb whose blood could be placed upon the doorpost and keep death from overtaking us. He must die at Passover. The Jews were even concerned at this. And so they were brought him in, but they wouldn't go into the, to the hall of Pilate because it's Passover. They don't want to sully themselves. They don't want to dirty themselves for Passover. The devil didn't want that. Oh, he doesn't mind. He's raised up the Judas. He's entered into the Judas to betray him. He's working with the Pharisees real well so that they can deliver him. He's working with Caiaphas and Annas so they can deliver him up and crucify him. Let the crowd cry, crucify him, crucify him. But guess what? You can't control that selfish heart once it gets in its mind. I got this. I got to have this. We're going to have to do it now. We're going to crucify him now. Guess what, devil? He's going to die at Passover. Glory to the Lamb of God. Oh, he's going to die when God has ordained them to die. And their selfish hearts could not be controlled. The devil cannot rein them in. The devil cannot hold them back. They're going to have their way. They're going to deliver him up. He's going to die even if it's Passover. We're not even going to worry about it. Let it go on. I'm telling you something. You can't control and harness selfishness only if you change a heart can you change and control a man the world's crying unity 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 you can't have it when you tell man he can be his own boss that also excludes you You can't say to the man, you can be your own boss, except when you're around me. I got to be your boss. That ain't going to fly. Why should you be my boss? Why should I let you tell me what to do? That ain't going to happen. No. Once you tell a man he can be his own boss, then he is the sovereign. And everybody else that pushes against his will he will push against them. And when you go out to a world and tell them to esteem self, there's no way you can produce harmony and unity in that society. You hear me? And I pray for it, but I pray that this godless agenda that is now ravaging this nation, let its fruit come to fruition. Let it fall apart at the seam as it is. It is a house of cards built on a foundation of sand. Let the wind of God blow. Woo, hallelujah. Let the Holy 
Ghost blow and let it fall apart and that men may see you can't build on selfishness. You watch it. Oh, they're united against Trump. They're united against the Republicans. They're united against the right. I'm not saying all that right or wrong. You may not, wherever you think you are or whatever. I'm a Bible man. You understand that? I just want to prove a point to you. Oh, there is so much against that. Yes, sir. During COVID, the governor of New York is their little baby. He's their hero. I tell you, as soon as things don't go their way and he raises up and does a little something wrong and doesn't fit their agenda, they'll trash him. Oh, like last year's bird's nest. They'll throw him under the bus and keep right on trucking. They don't care about unity. They don't care about peace. They only care about the accomplishment of their selfish agenda. And if they can do that and you go along, that's well. But if you don't go along, they'll throw you under the bus and they'll keep on going. Only way to have unity is where we all come and submit our will to the will of God Almighty and say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Sin reigned. Genesis 4 and 7, he said to Cain, If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And under thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. He said, Sin's at your door. It's ready to pounce. It's ready to conquer you. You don't conquer it, it's going to conquer you. He didn't conquer it, it conquered him. Exodus 23 and 32. I won't be too long. My, my thing's about to run out of battery here, so you just hold on. He said, Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. He said, You can't play with idolatry. It'll take you out. It'll take you over. You can't play with sin. It'll overcome you. You hear me? You hear me in this place right here this morning. You can't play with it. Yes, sir. If you've got that app that you're looking at, and every time you look at it, it's bringing up something that's detouring you over so that you're starting to look at things you shouldn't look at. You can't play with that. Do you understand that you can't play with that? You better toss it out. You better do something because it's going to overcome you. You can't make sin your pet. You can't make sin your little thing to all around. It'll overcome you. It'll destroy you. It'll enslave you. Sin will reign. Proverbs 5 and 22, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. John 8 and 34, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. He said in Acts 8 and 23 to Simon, he said, For I behold, perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In Romans 6 and 16, he said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, that, you, that ye obey. He said this, he said, For to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Titus 3 and 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Second Peter 2 and 9, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. No, you cannot in Enslave sin, it will enslave you. It'll enslave your heart, it'll enslave your body. And it will rain. Bear with me. I'll try to close. But he said, Those who receive that gift of grace. We who receive Jesus Christ, he said. Glory. He said, for if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which 
receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. What does that mean? Notice something. He does not do an exact opposite here. Death reigned. He does not say life reigns. Life doesn't come and master you so that God gives you life and now you're in automatic mode and life you just give to it and it will automatically just take you. You'll find when you get saved you still fight against the enemy. And sin will come and tempt you. And you must stand your ground and resist the devil. Yes, sir. Life does not reign. He said, you reign. Woo. You reign. What does that mean? First of all, understand that's your role. That's what God called you to, to have dominion in the earth. Well, you see, sin reigned. It reigned and governed my passions. And so... It leads me there and my passions control me. My emotions controls me. My selfishness controls me and brings me down so that that's the kind of person I become self-centered. But now I come and I'm saved by Jesus Christ and now I reign. You know what God really does? Is he puts the steering wheel back in your hands. Sin took it out of your hands. You give yourself to sin and it became a monster. And it would just take you where even you didn't want to go sometimes. How many even sinners come out and say, I wish I hadn't acted like that. I did something really stupid. I wish I hadn't looked a fool. The problem is today we've got to the place that fools are heralded and to look the fool was in, in, in vogue. And so today we've gotten so sorry and so sad. But I'm going to tell you something. There's some place the cameras of Hollywood don't go. There's some place that the cameras of the national media don't go. I tell you where they don't go. They don't go in the bedroom of that sinner at night when they lay down on that bed. When they got to take something to shut down the pain, to shut down the guilt, to shut down the shame. When they've got and they're laying there wrestling oh, on their own bed with the, with the depression and they're wrestling with the guilt. Oh, you say, oh, I'm a transgender. But what they won't show you is the hours alone when they're struggling with who am I really? What am am I? Am I really a man or a woman? What am I? There's no guidance. You hear me right now. The steering wheel has been ripped out of your hands. Sin is taking your life. You're out of control. And God says, I'm going to put you back in the driver's seat. Glory! I'm going to put you back in the driver's seat again. Woo! Glory to the Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb of God. We reign. We reign. We reign. Hallelujah. Who controls your life, Brother Woods? I do. I do. I'm reigning. Huh? You mean you ain't got to submit to God? I didn't say that. But I do that willingly. <laughs> I do that freely. He doesn't force me. Not like sin. He doesn't make me. No, not like death. He doesn't grab me and say, you're going to serve me like it or not. I come to church because I want to come. I pray because I want to pray. I worship because I want to worship. I live because I want to live. I give God glory because I want to give God the glory. We reign. We reign. Hallelujah. Nobody tied my hands and made me write my paycheck this morning. Nobody tied my hands and said, you got to give me this much. I said, I love you. I'll give it to you. I reign. I reign. I reign. Hallelujah.
Nobody makes me love my wife. Nobody makes me love my children. Nobody made me come preach this morning. I didn't come preach for the paycheck. I didn't come preach for the salary that I'm going to get. I didn't come preach for that. I'm telling you, God wants me here, I'll preach. If I never get a dime, I'll preach anyway. Because that ain't what it's all about. I'm in the seat now. And I'm no longer under the dominion of sin. I can freely yield myself under the things of God. And I reign. My thoughts are mine to control. The books on the shelf are mine to control. The knob on the TV is mine to control. The knob on the radio is mine to control. Oh yeah. I'll tell you, the app on the phone is mine to control. I'll say whether it's good or not. I'll say whether, not based on me, but based on God. But my point is this. It is not life reigning. It's me reigning. It's not that God has made me some kind of vessel and slave. I am his free bond servant. Hallelujah. When you can't shut it off, you might ask who's reigning. When you no longer can't control the emotions, you might ask who's reigning. When the anger has got such a hold on you that you can't control what comes out of your mouth, you better ask who's reigning. Oh, come on now. When you've got to the place that the lust has got a hold of you, that you're hiding around in the corners and you're looking at the pornography, you might ask who's reigning. You've lost the steering wheel. You've lost the grip. But God said, I'll give it back to you. I'll give it back to you. I'll break the powers of sin and liberate you. He goes on to say, the grace reigns. How does grace reign? Grace reigns through righteousness. Yeah. By our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, grace comes in a person. Here is how grace reigns. Here is how the Lord reigns. He is my Lord. But it's a willful submission. It's a loving relationship. It's a yoke of meekness. Glory. It's a yoke that is easy. Woo! And light. I got a yoke, but it ain't like sin. No, sir. No, sir. The Lord is going to lead me. He says, I'll nudge and you move. He didn't say, I'll slap you upside the head and you give in. He said, just kind of feel my tug. When I tug this way, you follow. When I kind of turn this way, you follow my lead. And I say, yes, Lord. I'm so happy where I'm at because I am under the dominion of grace. The Lord is my leader. The Lord is my corrector. Grace is reigning in my life. I sit with Christ in heavenly places. Stand to your feet across this place this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Listen. Listen to me just a moment, please. Hear me what I'm about to say, everybody in this building. There are many of you that are 
a flame for God. And you are reigning. There are some of you in here that are losing ground. Your job, your marriage, your finances are so bombarding you that they're getting a hold on your life and they're dictating your choices. Your job is determining how you treat your family, when you go to church. Your body has become so monstrous that every little pain keeps you home. Every little discomfort and you can't seem to go. But amazing, you must have had a great healing on Thursday because you made it to Walmart. And you walked around, but Sunday morning came and the stomach hurt. Sunday morning came and I just didn't feel good. Who's raining? Who dictates your steps? A hurting belly? Or a holy God? You're still reigning. What you got to do is let grace reign now in you. The steering wheel's still in your hands. God's still put a choice before you. The path is before you, son, life or death. The path is before you, son, flesh or spirit. Which will it be? The steering wheel's in your hands. You reign. You know what you need to do in that situation? You need to say and repeat that verse. I have been raised up to sit with Christ in heavenly places. I reign. I reign. And I reign because grace reigns in me. And you look to the Jesus that lives in you. And you say, Jesus, I know that I reign, but I need power. I know, Lord, that the choice is mine. The choice is mine. But I need the strength. I need a touch. And I know right now I sit with you, and I can have it. And I lay hold of it by faith. Hallelujah. We are not a bunch of robots. We are not led by our feelings. We are not led by our flesh. We are not led by the dictates of our culture. Grace lives in me. In the person of Jesus Christ. And if I start to slide one way... He, hey, son, come on. He could do that a couple of ways. Sometimes he just gets a hold of me and just touches my spirit and just, I got to run to Jesus. Sometimes he just withdraws a little bit. Man, I start to feel that distance. I said, oh, I can't stand that. Mm-mm. I can't cut that. No, sir. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's, it's work sometimes. I'm not advocating it in your marriage, but sometimes that's what we do. We just draw out when there's real love, when there's a hurt that comes. Our tendency sometimes is just to back off. And when you're really love, I'll tell you what, in that distance, love will lay hold of you and say, I got to run back. I can't stand this space. I can't stand this distance. I got to bring it back together. But I'll tell you, it's that grace in me. It rains because I let it rain. It rains because I want it to rain. It rains because I have delivered myself up to God and said, Here am I, Lord. Let me be what you want me to be. Come on, somebody. 